theological education should be affordable. Seminary students should not have to take out tens of thousands of dollars in student loans to train for the ministry. At Covenant Baptist Theological Seminary, our students pay a base of $75 per credit hour and a $375 per semester fee. For more information on how you can receive informed scholarship with Pastoral Heart, check out our website, cbtseminary.org. Covenant Podcast exists to equip listeners with theological content from a 1689 Baptist perspective. We pray you find this resource edifying, faithful to Scripture, and Christ-exalting. Now, let's get started. Welcome to the Covenant Podcast. Austin McCormick here with my co-host Jimmy Johnson, and today we have the privilege uh, for the first time to host Priscilla Wong. So welcome to the podcast, Priscilla. Thanks, Austin and Jimmy. Yeah, and uh, Priscilla, to start our discussion, uh, we're going to be talking about Selena Hastings and uh, on Selena Hastings in your forthcoming book, The Bold Evangelist, The Life and Ministry of Selena Hastings, Countess of Huntington. Can you tell us in our audience a little bit about yourself, uh, your history, family, job, research interests, whatever you'd like our audience to know about you? Okay, Sure. Um, well, this fall, a little bit of myself, uh, this fall I will have been married for 17 years. Uh, my husband and I have three children, ages 13, 11, and 6. We live in the GTA, the Greater Toronto Area in Ontario, and we are members of Sovereign Grace Church. Um, I am a full-time homeschooling mom. On the side, I do a bit of English tutoring. And then, of course, I have been doing research and writing on women in church history whenever I have been afforded time and opportunity. I did my undergraduate degree at York University in Toronto. I majored in English, and then I also studied broadcast journalism and creative writing. After working as a full-time technical writer for four years after university, I was eventually encouraged to go to seminary. I attended Toronto Baptist Seminary to complete my Master of Theological Studies, and I had the amazing opportunity there to learn church history under Dr. Michael Haken. Uh, To complete the degree, I had to write a 10,000 word paper. And after consulting with Dr. Haken, I was led to write a paper on Anne Steele, the Baptist hymn writer and poet. Uh, Upon its completion, Dr. Haken submitted the MS to Reformation Heritage Books, and that was published in 2012. Uh, The book was entitled Anne Steele and Her Spiritual Vision. The publication eventually led over years to several other invitations to write. Uh, I credit, in terms of research interests, I credit Dr. Haken's guidance in the gradual formation of my research interests. With each invitation to write on another church history figure, I realized that God has been putting on my heart a passion to write about women in church history who have contributed to the life of the church. I especially want to make my research accessible to the lay reader. In learning about and thereby appreciating the pious lives of these women, I hope that Christians will be encouraged in their own faith and godly service. Uh, Writing invitations have steered me toward writing about church history figures from the 17th and 18th centuries, which has actually made each subsequent writing project a tiny bit easier because with each um, project, uh, it progressively deepens my understanding of that period in church history. And I can and speak from ex- oh, and I can speak from experience that your latest 
writing project on Selena Hastings is readable and 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 very very good. So I recommend to our audience when it does come out, go buy it and read it if you want to know more after hearing about Selena Hastings from this interview. Um, with that said, um, Austin said that we're talking about Selena Hastings. So what got you interested in her? It's probably Dr. Haken, but what got you yes. interested in her and led you to write a biography about her? Well, yes, it was Dr. Michael Haken who asked me to write a book on Selena Hastings. Uh, it took two years. Um, I uh, am a full-time stay-at-home mom, like I said. So research is done during those little windows of free time that you get. Um, but after reading biographies on her, as well as a good portion of her direct correspondence, I became intimately informed about her life and I was amazed. I was inspired by her faith, her boldness, her productivity when it came to her evangelistic ministry. Hmm. Yeah, thank you for that. And uh, thank you for your willingness to come and talk about uh, Selena Hastings with us. So uh, moving the conversation forward, would you uh, please give our audience a brief sketch of Selena's life, contributions, and impact? Yeah, sure, for sure. Selena Hastings, uh, she played a vital role in the 18th century evangelical revival. George Whitfield and John Wesley's contributions are likely familiar to us, but Selena and her part in the revival may be less so. Her ancestry boasted a connection to English kings, and her marriage to Theophilus Hastings, the ninth Earl of Huntington, further elevated her position of status and influence. Yet despite her privileged position, she was not satisfied. The vanity and materialism of high society left her unfulfilled. She longed for real spiritual union with God, as her letters attest. Prior to her conversion, she was following the values of the Anglican Church, and her form of religion relied on doing good works and living a moral life. This was the religious climate since the life of the Anglican Church had fixated on church order, moralistic teaching, and human merit. Then some individuals um, in the 1730s were converted, including George Whitfield, the Wesley brothers, Hal Harris, and Benjamin Ingham. Many of them were part of the Holy Club at Oxford University. Ingham's conversion would be the one that would lead the gospel to ultimately reach Selena Hastings when he preached at the Hastings sisters' home. This was around 1739 or so. Uh, following her, uh, Selena's conversion early on in the revival, Selena devoted her life to evangelism, providing settings for people to hear the gospel. Like Whitfield and Wesley, Selena had hung on to the hope initially of reforming the Church of England from within, but as much as she desired to operate within it, the gospel message that she helped to promote was seldom welcomed by the Anglican clergy. This gave rise to the Methodist movement. Methodists at this time referring to those individuals recognized to be genuinely converted. The focus being on the work of the spirit in the believer's life and not simply the shallow observance of religious truth, rituals, I mean. Uh, from her conversion from 1739 until her death in 1791, Selena collaborated with major figures in the revival so that the gospel could be preached. Since authorities in the Anglican Church were suspicious of and denounced the Methodists, Ministers like Whitfield, along with other Methodist preachers, began to have no place to preach, so they resorted to taking the message to the open fields. It was Selina, the Countess of Huntington, who opened up more venues for this preaching to take place. Her drawing rooms, for example, was one venue. 
The countess would invite rich and reputable figures from her prestigious circle to dine at her home where they would hear gospel preaching. Uh, further, as peeress of the realm, legally the countess was allowed to have a chapel attached to her home for the spiritual ministering of her household. Outsiders, according to the law, were permitted to attend services at her private chapel. That is, local bishops could not intervene. Uh, Selena exploited this loophole for about two decades to enable Methodist preachers to hold worship services at her home. She leased or purchased estates and had chapels built into them calling them her homes, even though she only lived in these homes occasionally. Eventually, she would establish 64 of these chapels throughout England, and many Methodist preachers, in addition to overseeing their own congregations, would travel to her chapels to preach. Eventually, she would establish a college for the training of ministers, Trevecca College. And this was prompted by the fact that she could not secure enough ministers to preach at her chapels. She felt like she needed more laborers in the vineyard, and the Countess was always a woman of action. But toward the end, the bold and innovative actions Selena had taken for decades to protect Methodist preachers so that the gospel could be proclaimed to as many souls as possible were thwarted. The Anglican Church took assertive and severe action to put a halt to her activities. Methodists were refused ordination and removed from their parishes even. And this ultimately led to her having no choice but to form her own denomination, the Countess of Huntington's Connection, by registering her chapels as dissenting meeting places. Under the Toleration Act, she freed herself from restrictions of the state church on worship. Um, I guess a final statement I can make that I read in a book was, uh, it has been said that the Countess's financial contribution to the revival in today's currency was over 12 million pounds. Wow. <laughs> that's that's a whole bunch. And she she not only, I mean, contributed to the work of revival, but you also write at length in your biography about what she was like as both a wife and a mother. Would you care to share some of that with our audience? Oh, gladly. Uh, yeah, early on in my book, I devote a whole chapter entirely on portraying Selena's role as wife and mother. In tracing the Countess's steps in the evangelical revival, we might be so captivated by her later activity that we neglect looking at her earlier role as wife and mother. Because the correspondence between Selena and her husband Theophilus, whenever they were geographically apart, uh, are even surviving today, we actually get intimate snapshots of some of her family interactions. Um, over 10 years, from 1729 to 1739, she gave birth to seven children, though one daughter died in infancy. The childbearing had taken a toll on her body, and in 18th century England, the remedy was the waters at Bath. But while away, she wrote letters to her family. She missed them intensely. Um, and so we get to enjoy glimpses of her letters. Um, I just want to share one glimpse of one of her letters to her husband when Selena was worried that her young children would forget about her since she was absent for periods at a time. So let's just give you guys a taste of um, uh, what she wrote to her family. I beg my dear life will let me know if my dearest Frank ever talks of me and whether you think he will remember me for I dread losing that share in his warm heart I once had. My tenderest blessings are with my little ones and a thousand kisses to them and imagine a million to yourself. And she's writing to her husband there. 
expressing how much she missed her family while she was away. Uh, these letters uncover a picture of a woman who loved her husband very much and treasured those precious moments she could spend with her children. She sent them toys when she was away. She regularly wrote letters to her sons when they went away to school. Once of her, one of her sons even chided her when she didn't write for a time, and she expressed her anticipation when the holidays were approaching and the family would be reunited. Uh, Selena's correspondence also reveals her deep desire for her children to be saved. Um, this is a letter that she wrote a few years after her conversion, and she wrote this to her teenage son in 1742. So this is an, one more letter that I want to share of her that she wrote to her children. My greatest delight on this side of heaven would be the warm desires your heart might have to love and serve God, that you may wear a never-fading crown of glory. Think of this, my dear, dear Jewel, and then how poor will all things seem to you when you look further in the heavens eternal and unchangeable that is reserved for you, and this, if you do not reject it, purchased by the Son of God for you. Uh, one of the reasons why I paused and devoted a whole chapter in the book to describing Selena's life as a wife and mother, showing through her letters her affectionate interactions with her family members is because, two reasons, uh, one, I am a wife and mother, and as much as I have given to ministry, the time, to ministry and writing, much of my thoughts are focused on serving my family. And I wanted to bring that part of her life into the forefront alongside her other evangelistic activities. I didn't want the latter part of her life to eclipse this equally important earlier part of her life. And two, uh, I want the reader to grasp after witnessing how deeply Selena loved her family, how gut-wrenchingly difficult it must have been for her to press on in gospel ministry following their deaths. She was widowed at 39, and only one child out of seven outlived her. Her perseverance in the midst of such pain showed her faith and strength and also the beauty of the body of Christ who came alongside to support her during that time. Hmm. Well, thank you for sharing us uh, about her life and her contributions and now uh, what we know of her as a wife and a mother. Um, continuing to move the conversation on, who were Selena's closest friends and partners in the work of evangelism and revival? And who were her greatest influences? Uh, her correspondence reveals a large network of communication with individuals in the early Methodist movement. I have on hand about 300 pages of her transcribed correspondence, but the compilers of this collection noted that this was only a representative selection, that the surviving literary corpus may well exceed 4,000 letters to and from Selena Hastings, presently located in various libraries and archives. Uh, the most notable names are John and Charles Wesley and George Whitfield. Selena likely started to regularly correspond with the Wesley brothers in 1740. In these letters, she expressed her gratitude for their ministry to her. John Wesley visited the Countess a number of times at her home where he ministered to her over food and exposition of biblical texts. She would eventually form a closer friendship with his brother, Charles Wesley. He was the hymn writer, the poet. He was more thoughtful, more understanding. So Selena could open up to Charles about her spiritual struggles. In fact, Selena's letters to Charles number the most among all her surviving correspondence with friends. 
She attended both the ministries of the Wesleys and Whitfield. Uh, early on, her loyalties theologically were with the Wesleys, but approaching the late 1740s, Selena's company of friends began to include more Calvinists, such as Whitfield, Hal Harris, and Philip Doddridge. Eventually, she shifted from Arminian Methodism to Calvinistic Methodism. The shift was perhaps most evident in her appointment of Whitfield as her chaplain. The two would become close friends. Whitfield regarded the Countess so highly that upon his death, he would entrust his beloved Bethesda orphan house to her. Um, regarding her partners of evangelism during the revival, Selena invited preachers like Whitfield and John Fletcher to preach in her drawing rooms to the well-to-do guests dining there as her chaplain, Whitfield, would at one point end up preaching twice a week on the Countess's estate. Uh, many preachers supported the Countess's ministry in the chapels built on her acquired estates. Uh, in addition to Whitfield and the Wesleys, those who preached at her chapels included William Romaine, John Fletcher, John Barrage, Martin Madden, and Henry Venn. She collaborated with Hal Harris to establish Trebekah College, and she asked John Fletcher to be the college's president. Um, as I mentioned earlier, the Methodists were facing persecution from the Anglican Church for their gospel preaching and ministry. The Methodists were seen to be introducing disorder and mischief to the church. And so they were forced to preach outdoors, refused ordination, and kicked out of their parishes. Where the Countess could exert her influence, she was able to provide a measure of protection for her Methodist friends. For example, she wrote letters to civil authorities as well as bishops defending them when opposition to and attempts to hinder their ministry arose. From her correspondence, it is clear these Methodist leaders respected her, not only coming to her because of her financial resources and influential position, but also for her godly character and counsel, exemplified by her love for the Bible and devotion to prayer and her demonstrated generosity, care, strength. I'll leave you with this one final quote regarding her impact. Uh, the Countess was referred to by one historian as the glue that held the revival together. Mm. Yeah, thank you for uh, sharing about now Selena's friends and uh, partners in the work of evangelism and revival and some of the influences uh, on her life. Um, as you mentioned, one of Selena's many uh, endeavors was starting a college for aspiring preachers. Um, Jimmy writes this question, and, and this is interesting to both of us. As a Baptist, we noticed some of the recommended readings uh, of the first principle included some of the works of key particular Baptists, notably Benjamin Keach's Types and Metaphors and John Gill's Commentaries. So in your research, uh, did Selena have any correspondence with any of the English particular Baptists that you know of? Um, well, uh as I mentioned earlier, the surviving correspondence involving Selena Hastings exceeds 4,000 letters, and I only have on hand 379. Uh, but it doesn't indicate that she corresponded with any, like many of them. But some literature I've seen um, has indicated that Countess did correspond with Anne Dutton, the English writer and poet and Calvinistic Baptist. Uh, Dutton was one of the earliest Calvinistic British Baptists to support and contribute to the evangelical revival. I wish I had access to those letters. I would love to read them, but they're not in the correspondence that I have. Um, but mm. uh, a number of papers do mention that they corresponded. Uh, I would also like to add in the late 18th century, 
um, Selena compiled a hymn book and she chose most of those hymns on her own. They, uh, by the next, by the final edition, it had several hundred hymns and included in the collection of hymns are Anne Steele, whose hymns had become one of the voices of the particular Baptist church. Hmm. Yeah, thank you for that. Um, one thing that sets apart your book from other books is the final chapter, Lessons from the Life of Selena Hastings. And uh, we want to commend our listeners to go and purchase this book, read this final chapter, read the entire book. Um, but can you summarize the lessons that we can draw from our elder sister in the faith? Uh, yeah, thank you. Um, that's encouraging to uh, hear. Um, yes, in this final chapter, I consciously wrote 10 lessons that I feel like I and the reader can learn from the life of Selena Hastings. I'll call attention to several of those lessons, which relate to some of what we've learned about her today. Uh, first, Selena's zeal for evangelism was, of course, unquestionable. But what can also be observed was the gradual progression of her movements. With each step she took, she became bolder for the cause of Christ. She started off evangelizing one-on-one -on -one with workers on her estate, to opening up her draw rooms for the aristocracy, to setting up places of worship all over England, to erecting a college for training ministers. Uh, she was driven by a profound desire to spread the gospel. Uh, and at each point in time, with the resources she had, she withheld nothing to carry out the urgent task. And while most of us are no countess, uh, as redeemed sinners, we bask in the gospel of um, grace. And this ought to drive us to take that first step in proclaiming the gospel. And when we have done so, our divine call is to take another as we surrender more and more of our lives to God. Hence my titling the book, The Bold Evangelist. Uh, second, uh, when it came to evangelism, Selena cast a wide net. Uh, she was indiscriminate of who was like likely a prospect for the gospel. So we witnessed the diverse people who benefited from her ministry. Merely years after her conversion, she could write to Charles Wesley, I have labored much among the unawakened. I let none pass by of any rank, but I remind them of the fountain that is open for sin and for uncleanness. Selena's genuine concern for the well-being and spiritual state of individuals from all spheres of life had far-reaching results such that the ordinary worker on her estate received her attention, the parent who could not afford to send her child to school, the minister soliciting help for a hospital or orphanage, even the aristocrat who remained unpersuaded by the Christian religion. Uh, learning about her evangelistic ministry, we are encouraged not to pass up opportunities that rise up all around us, not relying on our own human judgment, but trusting in the Almighty's power to use any soul for his grand purposes. Um, Third, I was deeply moved by the vulnerability of Selena following the deaths of her husband and children. Yes, she took refuge in the promises of God, but at the same time, she was not free from heartache. I think many of us can empathize with Selena. She would withdraw for a time, grieving over the losses of her beloved family members. But what moved me even more? I even cried when I read letters from John Barrage and John Fletcher to Selena during her mourning was that her friends in Christ tenderly sought to comfort her, pointing to her the Christian hope in the heavenly glory. Furthermore, and this is a testament to Selena's dedication to her evangelistic ministry, uh, her temporary absence from ministry 
when she was grieving was so greatly felt by leaders in the revival that these men wrote her letters, not only to console her, but to plead her to return to ministry. And I can't help but think as we consider our own service in the church, have we sacrificed enough of our time and energy that a temporary absence would be deeply felt by our church family? Um, and one more, uh, and I want to share this one just because of the global situation we see ourselves in right now. Uh, due to the pandemic, many have been disconnected from the church and their Christian community. Uh, many, after all these virtual services and meetings, have been uh, have grown dangerously accustomed to them. Um, so another lesson from Selena's Hastings life would be looking at her friendships. In her letters, we witness many warm interactions. Even glimpses reveal the importance of forming and nurturing friendships with brothers and sisters in Christ. Reading and understanding scripture, facing conflict, persevering in ministry, drawing support from each other in seasons of encouragement, discouragement, I mean. Selena was deeply rooted in a Christian community that was an anchor in her journey as a believer. Uh, mm. I'll conclude this question with a quote. Uh, to her good friend, Charles Wesley, she expressed gratitude for this mutual concern in the family of Christ. And she writes, there is something at the bottom of old friendship in our Lord's family that is like himself having loved his own. He loves them to the end. And as he cares over all our littleness so tenderly and lovingly, so do we to each other. Mm. Amen. Amen. Thank you for that. Um, and thank you for talking so much about Selena Hastings. If someone wants to learn more about or from her, where can they go? Well, Faith Cook committed meticulous and painstaking research on the life of Selena Hastings. It's narrated brilliantly in her 2001 biography, Selena, Countess of Huntington, her pivotal role in the 18th century evangelical awakening. Uh, my biography is an introduction or a transition to Cook's substantial chronicling of the Countess's life and interactions with numerous key figures in the revival. Uh, there are so many inspiring anecdotes. Um, her book, is almost 500 pages. I think, yeah, the mid 400s. So definitely a lot more detailed in chronicling those interactions. Um, and in Faith Cook's book, you'll actually also see in the beginning a tremendous guidance regarding how to assess existing sources on Selena Hastings' life. And for those who want to personally read a sample of Selena Hastings' correspondence, uh, which reveals the wide network she had of uh, with notable figures in the revival, they can access Tyson and Schlenther's In the Midst of Early Methodism, Lady Huntington and her correspondence. The two collaborators collected, transcribed, and studied numerous letters of the Countess, publishing a collection in 2006. They state that the collection, like I said earlier, is a valuable representative selection of letters capturing Selena Hastings' life and work. And also, when can we expect your book to be published and where can we buy it? Uh, Lord willing, I have been told at the end of this summer on uh, August 31st around, and you can buy it from H&E Publishing. Their website is hesedandemmet.com, so H-E-S-E-D-A-N-D-E-M-E-T.com. Yeah, and once again, to our listeners, uh, hopefully this is the third time you've heard us say it, go and buy this book and... <laughs> 
and be blessed by Priscilla's work and what she's written about Selena Hastings. Do you have any final encouragements from for our audience uh, as it relates to Selena Hastings or anything else you'd like to add? Yeah, in my research on different women in church history, I have been moved by how uniquely God had gifted each woman, yet each of them left behind a God-glorifying legacy that not only impacted those in their time, but also unbeknownst to them, subsequent generations. Uh, my first biography was on Anne Steele, an 18th century poet and hymn writer, someone who spent most of her life in a quiet village of Broughton on the countryside. Uh, she wrote 144 hymns. Her contemporaries were Isaac Watts, Charles Wesley, and John Newton. And her hymns appeared in popular hymnics alongside these gifted men. And we still sing her hymns today. And then you have Selena Hastings, Countess of Huntington. And I am amazed that a woman in the 18th century could be capable of spearheading so much gospel work. And unlike Anne Steele, her network was huge. And the net she cast was incredibly wide. So God had granted Selena Hastings that sphere of influence. So it really reminds me that God can use anyone by his power to accomplish fruitful, soul-stirring work for the kingdom, be it in the tiny sphere of our homes or in a sphere as large as the countess's. Hmm. Well said. Well, Selena, we want to, uh, or excuse me, Priscilla, we want to thank you for uh, talking about Selena and also the allusions that you've made to Anne Steele. Uh, very helpful. And so thank you so much for taking the time to write this book and taking the time to join our podcast today. My pleasure. Thank you for inviting me. And to our listeners, we want to wish you grace and peace. For additional content, check out our blog ministry at covenantconfessions.com. Also, keep up with our social media accounts on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Next, head on over to iTunes and leave us a review. Lastly, thank you for listening to the Covenant Podcast. Grace and peace to you.